Welcome to Inside ADHD, the official podcast for ADHDfamilies.ca. This podcast provides parents with current research about ADHD and strategies for helping their children. ADHDfamilies.ca is a resource website for parents of children who have ADHD. All of the resources have been evaluated by experts in the field of ADHD, so parents can feel confident that they are receiving trustworthy information. Visit ADHDfamilies.ca and follow us on Twitter. Hello everybody, Krista Forand here. I'm a registered psychologist of the Can Learn Society in Calgary, Alberta, and I'm also a team member um, from ADHDfamilies.ca. And today's podcast, we are going to talk um, specifically about executive functions. So some of you have may have heard that term. For some of you, maybe that's the first time you've heard that term. Um, it's basically just a fancy word for all of the skills that we need in order to achieve our goals throughout the day. So I'll explain a bit more about what that means here and then um, in today's podcast I also want to provide some fairly specific strategies and things for parents to think about um, how they can support their child with ADHD um, with executive function. So hopefully the more I explain this, the more you'll be able to understand what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the skills that help us to achieve goals. Keep that in mind as I talk. So you can think of executive functions as being in two very broad categories, um, and then there's some very specific things in those categories. So one broad category can be those kinds of skills that we have to manage our behavior and emotions in certain situations. The other types of executive skills are the ones that are thinking about thinking or actually managing certain tasks or things that we need to do and get finished. Now, thinking about thinking is um, also defined as a fancy term, metacognition. So instead of sort of going throughout our day um, on autopilot and not really knowing what it is we're doing, we're actually thinking about our own thinking and our own behavior and how that's leading to um, our goals, achieving our goals. And these executive functions largely involve the very front part of our brain, which is just located uh, just behind the forehead. And this part of the brain is known as the prefrontal cortex. So we know this from research. Now you've maybe heard some people describe executive functions as the conductor of an orchestra or air traffic control system at an airport. Um, what that basically means is if you say, if you take the conductor of an orchestra idea, the conductor is the one that keeps the entire orchestra playing at the same time, um, certain instruments knowing when to come in and when to stop playing. Otherwise, if all the people in the orchestra just decided to play whenever they wanted, then the music would not sound so great. Um, and same thing with the airport. If there wasn't sort of um, one system that had control over the whole airport, you'd probably have a lot of um, uh, confusion and maybe accidents um, air, uh, airplanes running into each other or not being able to leave or land so you need someone to be able to organize all of that happening all of the busyness so our executive skills allow us 
to take in several pieces of information at once and then make decisions about how we should respond in a given situation. And like I said before, these skills allow us to respond to situations in ways that help us achieve our goals. So let's say, for example, studying for a math test. Now, actually, studying for a math test can be a behavior that we partake in to achieve the goal of getting a good grade on the math test. But actually, in and of itself, studying for a math test successfully can be a goal. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about that example as we go into each different executive function so you can get the idea of what I'm talking about there. It is well known that individuals who have ADHD have challenges with executive functioning. So that's why I'm talking about this today because it's completely relevant to the diagnosis of ADHD. Um, and in fact, some um, experts such as Dr. Russell Barkley um, go so far as to say that uh, deficits or challenges in executive functioning are very likely the main um, uh, difficulties that people with ADHD experience um, because it's basically um, difficulties with self-regulation that cause impairment for those individuals. So now I want to talk specifically about different types of executive functions. And you'll notice when I mentioned before that there's kind of two broad types, the managing behavior and emotions category, and then the sort of managing the completion of tasks and thinking about your own thinking. So in that first category, um, managing behavior and emotions, we're talking about things like inhibition, which basically means being able to stop your behavior or to stop yourself from doing a behavior. And again, it's to achieve a goal. So for example, you might not want to blurt out in a conversation if you're trying to um, show a person that you're a good listener, for example. Another executive function that's very important is shifting, or it can also be seen as cognitive flexibility, or just simply flexibility in your thinking and in your approach to problem solving. So this is that ability to be able to look at a problem or a situation from different angles and to be able to try out different strategies rather than getting stuck on one thing. So. Um, instead of being rigid or inflexible, you're flexible. And then the other one that sort of goes with these two is emotional control, and that's the ability to sort of recognize your stronger emotions and manage them appropriately in the situation, and again, so that you can achieve your goals. So for instance, if you're um, interacting with another person, and they're a person who um, can make some sort of decision about you um, and they say something that sort of angers you, it's probably in your best interest to find a way to control that anger rather than express it directly to them, knowing that that might hurt your chances about whatever decision that they're making about you. So the other executive functions um, that we have are initiation, or basically, simply put, getting started on things. Um, the other ones are working memory. So this is the ability to take in information, hold it in your mind, 
and manipulate it or move it around. It can also be um, joining it with things that you're pulling out of long-term memory, adding other pieces of information in, changing it, and spitting it back out, basically. And I'll say right now, um, we won't give specific strategies for working memory today, because I think I'd like to do a completely um, separate podcast um, about working memory, because it is such an important executive skill. So we'll be talking more in the future about working memory, so stay tuned for that one. Another executive functioning skill is planning and organizing. So being able to, th being able to think ahead um, about a certain task that you need to do. Maybe it's big enough that you have to break it down into steps and then deciding when you're going to do that or those steps and how you're going to do that. And we'll talk about that more in detail in a bit. Another one is organizing your belongings. So basically keeping track of your stuff. Um, so, many people with ADHD have a lot of difficulty with misplacing things or losing things. A lot of time is wasted looking for those things. And that's where we see um, impairment or difficulty with the organization of things. And the last one is monitoring. And this is simply um, being able to, this is the one that's really about thinking about thinking asking yourself or asking ourselves if we are doing what we're supposed to be doing at any given time. So that can deal with things like priorities. Is what I'm doing the most important thing that I should be doing right now? Is it the most urgent thing that I should be doing? But also as far as the quality of what it is that you're doing. Am I following the instructions? Have I forgotten actually what I'm supposed to be doing? Do I need to go check the instructions again? So that's what monitoring is. So you can see, let's take the example of studying for a math test, that we can use all of those executive functions that I just listed to be successful at studying for a math test. So inhibition, well maybe I need to stop playing my video games, stopping a behavior, in order to get started studying for a math test. Shift or flexibility. Say I'm working on some questions and I'm starting to get um, a bit frustrated because I'm having trouble solving one of those questions and I can't really figure out what's going wrong in the sequence of steps in the math question. Um, it may be beneficial to try to look at it from a different way instead of simply repeating the same strategy to try to solve that. And again, sometimes um, you might need help with that. It may not be something that you can do on your own, and you may, may need to ask someone else to help you come at it from a different angle. And related to that is the emotional control piece. So say you're getting frustrated doing a particular math question because you're finding that you can't get it right. Um, you may be even getting to the point where you're angry. And you may have to ask yourself, do I need to use a strategy to, to manage my emotions? Maybe I need to take a break. Maybe I do need to take a few breaths. Maybe I just need to walk away for a moment. Those kinds of things. Getting started. So when <laughs> you want to study for a math test, but you don't really want to study for a math test, um, it's really hard to get started. And this is where we see procrastination. So sometimes it may be things like making sure you've actually set aside adequate time for this um, and also making it possible to get started. So one really great strategy 
is to break down the first step of what you might be doing to a manageable point. And we'll talk a bit about this in a bit, but it might be like um, for the studying for the math test, I'm going to do these first two questions. That's all I'm going to do, and then I'll see how I can um, proceed after that. Working memory, so excellent for math uh, strategies, as I always say, externalize it. So if you have problems with holding information in your mind and remembering it while you're working with it, you need to use a calculator, you need to use pencil and paper, and get it out of your head so that you can work with it outside of your mind and that will uh, lead to hopefully less mistakes and errors in your math calculations and um, better success at learning. Planning and organizing, so this is that thinking ahead and deciding when and how you're going to complete a task. So studying for a math test, I may need to break it down into the different topics that the test is going to cover. I may need to then decide how much studying I should do in each topic. Um, and then I might work backwards, scheduling in time, so that I'm not doing it all the night before, but that I'm doing some regular review, say for a week or two or three, depending on the size of the test, to practice those questions and understand the concepts. Organizing belongings, this might mean things like for studying, uh, for, studying for a math test, making sure that my um, desk is organized, that it's free of clutter, that I have all of the um, materials that I would need, pencils, ruler, calculator, textbooks, those kinds of things. Because if those things aren't in place, then you're going to have trouble with the other areas of executive functioning, such as getting started, because you're going to be wasting time looking for things. You can start to see how these kind of play into each other, and they're completely related to each other. The last one, monitoring, so the, remember this is asking ourselves how we're doing when we're doing something. So if we were studying for a math test, we might ask ourselves every so often, did I understand that? Do I need to do another question like that to make sure I understand it? Um, oh, I should check back to make sure that I'm actually studying all the areas that are going to be covered by the test that the, that the teacher mentioned to us in class. Those kinds of things so that you don't get totally engaged um, into the task and completely forget what it is you're actually supposed to be doing because you may get off track and not realize. So it's always good to ask yourself those monitoring questions. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? So before I get to some more um, specific strategies for each of these areas, I want to um, just make an important note um, about executive functions and brain development and what parents to sort of, um, should keep in mind when they're helping their children with these skills. It's really important to remember that brain development continues into a person's 20s. So just because the legal age limit is 18 or 19, depending on where you live, um, the brain is still developing into the 20s and that frontal lobe area, which is responsible for executive functions, is the last area to develop. So we have to remember that um, every young person is still developing those executive skills and that parents of children with ADHD should really understand that they are very much likely going to need to be their child's external frontal lobe 
or the conductor of the orchestra <clears throat> to support them in using the strategies to make up for the challenges that they have with executive function. So it's not necessarily helpful to um, expect a child to use these strategies on their own. And so if parents can start to understand that and accept that they are going to have to provide more external structure, um, then a lot of these kids and teens will have a lot more success rather than sort of just expecting that they're going to do it on their own. So some strategies that parents can consider, and we'll go through each uh, area, and again, like I mentioned before, we will do a separate podcast about working memory in the future because I think it's um, an interesting topic and we can talk a lot about that on its own. So the first area I want to talk about is the inhibition and the emotional control uh, side of things. So when kids have difficulty with inhibition and emotional control, they might be impulsive. Um, sometimes they might be easily angered or upset about things and they might have difficulty showing their emotions appropriately in front of others, those kinds of things. Um, they might have behavioral problems. So some things to think about for kids who have those challenges is to be proactive and know which specific situations are difficult for your child to inhibit their behavior and provide them with reminders before entering that situation of what kind of behavior is expected and be very specific about it. So say if going to a restaurant has been a negative experience in the past for your child, then you want to give them some very explicit instructions about what kind of behavior is expected in the restaurant before they go there. In that sense, you're sort of being the frontal lobe by reminding the child, oh right, I'm going to a restaurant and this is how I behave in a restaurant. Um, the other thing is you might need to keep um, these children closer to you, um, especially if the problems with inhibition or impulsivity lead to safety issues. This typically is more problematic with younger children, but some kids do have significant difficulties with impulsivity um, that does create concerns about their physical safety. So they may need increased supervision and prompting um, for their behavior, and you might need to just be physically closer to these kids. The other thing is to teach these children techniques for recognizing and managing strong emotions. So it's good to have very um, direct conversations about how to um, recognize when they're starting to feel upset, what does that feel like, what does it look like in the body, and manage those emotions. And um, specifically to help them to develop techniques to maybe delay their responses when they start to become upset. So one example could be counting to 10, or maybe they need to leave the situation for a few minutes to calm down. And that again, that's going to be something that parents are gonna have to prompt because kids aren't gonna know automatically to do that on their own. That's the problem that they're having is they can't stop themselves before the strong emotions take over. Um, another problem with inhibition, uh, disinhibition, is not necessarily in sort of behavior or impulsive behavior. It could be even with the approach to that 
these kids takes when they're completing academic work. So sometimes they might rush really quickly through their work and they sort of answer things impulsively, which leads to maybe unfinished questions or careless errors, those kinds of things. So parents and teachers for these kids who have that problem can emphasize accuracy in academic work rather than speed and getting it done quickly. So talking them through that and saying, we want to make sure that you're getting as many of these questions right, so we need to slow down and we need to work one at a time. For some children who have um, significant challenges with impulsive behavior and emotional control, it may be necessary to use things like positive reinforcement or response cost um, as a way of managing their behavior. Um, and we always recommend focusing on reinforcing positive behaviors before resorting to taking things away for negative behaviors. Um, and we've had a few podcasts about that, uh, talking about those kinds of strategies if you want to check those out specifically. The other thing to remember is to be prepared to help these children during unstructured times. So unstructured times are sometimes the transition in between two activities, or maybe free play that doesn't really have a lot of parameters or boundaries, and so the expectations are vague and sort of general. And that's where the kids who have a lot of issues with inhibition um, might have difficulty. So the unstructured times may need to be limited or shortened. And you, again, you may need to take proactive strategies to remind the child of what types of behaviors are expected during unstructured times. So I want to move into strategies for shifting or that cognitive flexibility. So instead of being rigid, how can we be flexible in situations as they arise? Now, it's always sort of a balance between being flexible but also having routines. Because I'm sure you've heard and I'm sure we've talked about before how important routines are for children and adults with ADHD. Routines and consistency are important for children with difficulties in shifting or being, or being flexible. If they know what is expected, then they're less likely to be anxious or confused. So we want to have routines um, in one sense, but then we also want to teach them very slowly and in, in small steps how we can maybe be flexible about those routines particularly when life throws curveballs at us and we can't always do everything the same way or as we had planned it. But we can still sort of rely on routines as a way to have familiarity and consistency in their lives. So by using things like visual schedules, calendars, checklists, those kinds of things. And if there is a change in plans, because there always will be, we want to provide advance warning and help them manage that change. And this helps to promote flexibility. So we talk it through with the child. If they're upset, then they might use some of their strategies for managing their emotions. And then we move on with the day. And to further promote flexibility, the child may be taught variations to their routines, like I just said, and try them out. So maybe a parent... Um, presents the idea that there's a different way to drive to school 
and maybe um, they talk about it in advance about, hey, why don't we try that tomorrow? We'll show you the other way to get to school. And then they can experience what it's like to be flexible and to think in a different way. Um, transitions can be difficult for kids who have difficulties with shifting uh, or flexibility. And so it's always important to try to provide several warnings, not just one, um, to sort of help wind these kids down to the transition. So for instance, or for example, you can give a 15 minute warning, then a 10, and then a 5, and maybe for some kids they might need a 2 and a 1 minute. And that just sort of helps them to know that the time is passing and they're, they're getting closer and closer to the next activity. Um, the other thing in general that we can keep in mind for promoting cognitive flexibility is explicitly teaching children um, how to develop problem-solving skills and teaching them that there may be more than one way to solve a problem. And when they actually have a particular problem in real life, using that as a way to show them how many um, possible ways to solve this problem can we come up with and then maybe picking the one that they think is best and trying it out. And if it doesn't work, well, we've got a list of other things we can try. So it teaches flexibility and it also shows them that they can be resourceful. Um, the next category is task initiation. So getting started. And we, we just talked about routines. And like I said before, you can see how strategies for one executive skill end up helping with other ones. Or if you don't have strategies in one area, then it causes issues in another area. So for task initiation, the reason why having routines is so important is because it makes those activities automatic. Now I should probably make sure that I define routine so that people understand exactly what I'm talking about. A routine isn't a schedule for the day or for the week or for the month. It's a very short sequence of behaviors that may last as little as five to ten minutes, maybe up to an hour. It's a short um, sequence of behaviors. So a prime example of a routine is the things that you do to get ready in the morning or the things that you do to get ready to go to bed or the things that you do to clean your house. So when we make those routines automatic by say having a list of those things posted for a child, like a checklist, then they know what's expected every day and as they learn and you prompt them to use their list, they don't have as much difficulty getting started because they know what's first on the list because they can go look at it. So there's less thinking about the routine and the tasks in the routine and it, less thinking is required, you're more likely just to get started. The other thing that's helpful for getting started on things is to break them down. Break the task down into small steps. Now that can be part of what you do for the routine but it can also just be for being able to figure out where do I start in the first place. Some kids with ADHD have a lot of trouble cleaning their room because they don't know where to start. They look at the room and they have no idea how to get started. And this is where parents can help them to say, all right, what would be the first step? Let's break it down. 
And a good strategy to remember is if you can't get started on something, your first step is probably too big. Break it down further. So instead of saying, I'm going to start with the, um, my clothing drawer, and you're having trouble getting started on that, it might be better to say, I'm going to start on the one drawer on the top of the dresser. This helps to decrease overwhelm feelings. Um, help children organize the task. So getting started may, might be an issue because the child doesn't know where to start, and that's what kind of I just said. Um, and again, external prompting may be required. So on certain tasks, parents and teachers can help get the child started by prompting them, or sometimes by even doing maybe the first question, or showing them how they would get started, say if they were folding their clothes in their room to put it in the drawer. Okay, let's get started by folding these clothes and actually folding some of them to show the child how to get started. The next category is planning and organization. And you can see how I just talked a bit about of planning and organization in the task initiation part, and so they, these two go together quite nicely. So you want to help children um, when we're talking about, say, school assignments or larger projects for school, you want to help these children read the assignment requirements carefully and assist them in breaking down the task into manageable parts. This is the actual organization piece. Set mini, mini deadlines for each part and then schedule them in a calendar working backwards sorry, from the due date. So this is showing, how do I actually do something that maybe is a bigger task that requires an understanding of not only where to get started, but how do I actually do all the components that are part of that task? And, the, and kids with ADHD are going to need help with this. Parents are also encouraged to model things like time management and organizational skills for their children. So an example might be that maybe you, um, as a parent, would use a wall calendar for the family and have everybody's um, events and appointments up there. It could be color-coded, those kinds of things. So having that external visual prompt uh, or visual representation of time a month, you know, at a month's glance on the wall is an excellent way to show kids how we keep track of all of the things we have to do every day. And parents can even model further by doing what, um, what teachers might call think-alouds. So talking out loud what you might say to yourself in your head for why you're doing something with the calendar. So for instance, you might say out loud, I better write that dentist appointment down on the calendar so that I remember to go to it. Because then it shows the child what the point of a calendar is. It's to be able to keep track of the things you have to do and so you don't forget to do those things. You can also help your child estimate how long they think something will take. So when the ta And then when the task is complete, see how close they were in their estimation. Next time they do the task, they may need to give themselves more time. And this starts showing them the importance of time estimation and understanding that 
oftentimes um, individuals with ADHD don't give themselves enough time to do something and they end up rushing or not getting it done. And some individuals, because they might have a little bit more anxiety about that, actually give themselves way too much time. And, but, but then a lot of time gets wasted anyway. So we want to try to minimize the time wasted and the rushing by working on those time estimation skills. The next category is organizing belongings, so keeping track of your stuff. So one um, thing that we suggest is have homes for your important belongings that are used on a regular basis. So adults typically know this, you should have a place for your house keys so that you don't lose them. Some people hang them by the door, they have a little basket they put them in. Um, you might need a place for your cell phone, your wallet, those kinds of things that you use on a very regular basis. And the other important thing to remember is to keep belongings that you use regularly at the point of usage, which basically means keep them where you use them. So if you read books, um, if you read a book before you go to bed and you're in your bed reading the book and you need your glasses for that, keep your glasses by the book by your bed, maybe on the nightstand. And one way that we can hopefully try to increase the chances that those important belongings are actually in their homes or the places we've decided that they're going to live is to spend some time each day or fairly regularly tidying up and making sure things are in their homes. So some people um, find it very helpful to do, say, a 10-minute tidy at the end of their day. And again, parents can model this for their children and show them that it doesn't actually take that long to set a timer for 10 minutes and what you do is you spend that time putting things back in their homes. And it's just a quick way to take out a bit of the clutter um, and to hopefully decrease the chances of misplacing those items and then wasting time looking for them later when you need them. And the last area we're going to go through here is monitoring. So again, this is that skill of asking yourself, am I on track? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I following the instructions? Those kinds of things. So again, because um, kids with ADHD tend to be, or can be impulsive in what they're doing and not think about what the requirements were, we want to again set goals for accuracy rather than speed. We want to make sure that these children are learning and not just rushing through their activities. Um, and like I said, this will help with the inhibition difficulties as well. And what we can do is um, teach the child to talk to themselves as they complete the task, which is a way to encourage self-monitoring. So like the example I said before about um, think-alouds, so talking out loud about what might you what you might be saying to yourself in your head. Um, I better go write down this dentist appointment on the calendar so I don't forget about it. You might teach a child to um, say certain things to themselves as they're completing math questions like, oh, I better check the sign and make sure that I'm doing the right operation, um, those kinds of things. 
You can also demonstrate how to follow instructions for an assignment and check them regularly to make sure that they are still being followed. So some kids with ADHD um, might get a project or instructions from a teacher for a bigger project and they don't really look at all the requirements for the project and they might go off and make this grand thing and they take a whole bunch of time to do it to only be told by the teacher that they sort of missed the whole point of the project. Um, some of you parents may be familiar with that experience. So it's important to help your child look at the requirements of the assignment, figure out what's actually required, use those planning organizational skills to decide how you're going to break it down, and then uh, schedule it. But then also make sure, this is the monitoring part, to check back to, at the requirements regularly to make sure that you and your child are on, on the right track as far as what's expected. And then there's not going to be any sort of um, unpleasant surprises at the end when something got missed or the whole point of the assignment was kind of missed, those kinds of things. Another way to encourage monitoring is to provide children with checklists. And again, this is an external reminder. So rather than um, hoping that kids just remember to edit their written work, for example, uh, we give them checklists that say exactly what to look for as far as um, errors go in their writing. And then they can use this external reminder to edit their work or other checklists could be things like reminders of the steps of how to complete a particular task or a particular math problem, those kinds of things. So we've gone through all of the executive functioning areas today. We defined it earlier on. And like I said before, we didn't talk about working memory, but that's because um, in the near future we're going to do a podcast completely on its own about working memory because it's a very fascinating topic so I thought I would give it its own day. Um, if you want to learn more about executive functions, visit the executive functions tab on the ADHD families website. There are several books available um, but the ones that I think might be a good place to start for some people are the Smart But Scattered books by Peg Dawson and Richard Guar. I believe there are those books, there's three different ones, one's for children, one for teens, and one for adults. And they deal exactly with um, how to use different strategies to support difficulties with these areas of executive functioning. So hopefully those um, resources and the resources on the ADHD Families website will be helpful. And again, stay tuned in the near future for a specific podcast on working memory. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Inside ADHD, the official podcast for ADHDfamilies.ca. For more information about ADHD and how to help your child, visit ADHDfamilies.ca and follow us on Twitter.